following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. All right, good morning, everybody. I want to share four quick things with you. And if you're a guest today, then this is perfect for you because it'll kind of let you in on the inside of what we're all about at our church. We came up with this a number of years ago, and that's our strategy on how we're supposed to lead our church. And we thought if we could do four things, then we would be able to accomplish what uh, God has called us to do in our community. And those four things are to teach Christians how to invite their friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors and relatives to hear stories about Jesus. So inviting is a key part of our core, and we think it's a normal part of the Christian life and that all Christians should be used to inviting people to meet Jesus. So inviting is number one. Number two is, is self-feeding is what we call it, but basically it means you're able to feed your own soul, take care of yourself. If you just live off of what you get on Sundays here, then your soul's going to be dry and empty and hurting. So we want to have, have all these programs that help you and teach you how to uh, get into God's Word and to pray and to, to feed your own self spiritually. The third one is generous giving. Obviously, I mean, that's the most obvious one there is. You can't do anything without funds and the ability to do it. And so if we become generous people and give generously, then we can accomplish all the ministries that God has given us. And the last one is prayer, learning how to connect with God and pray and spending time in prayer. So we, we came to the belief that if we could teach Christians how to do these four things, then we would be able to accomplish the mission that God has given us, and that is to become a church for the unchurched, a church that unchurched people love to be a part of and love to attend. So today my goal is just take the next few minutes and share with you a little story about how we can learn how to rely upon the Holy Spirit's work in our life and trust the Holy Spirit to use us to be a light in the world. You are a light in our community. And we want to show you just briefly this morning uh, a practical way that that can become a reality in your life. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, the ancient scriptures, uh, Genesis all the way uh, through Malachi, the Old Testament part of the Bible, the first part, During that period of time as God's people were being formed, this was very early on and the nation was coming together, they chose a king to rule over them. And different kings came and went and ruled for different years over God's people, the nation of Israel. And when a king got became evil, then all kinds of bad things would happen in the nation. If a king was godly and he was good, then... The nation prospered, people prospered, and things went well. I mean, that makes sense, right? So what God did is he would put his anointing on certain men to, and women and use them to bring balance within the kingdom, especially when there was an evil king, when men chose to do their own thing and worship idols and worship other gods. Then God would put his anointing on someone else to counteract that. And to work in that, in, in that case to balance out the kingdom and establish his will in the nation. 
And so one of the people that he chose is a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is what you call a super prophet. I mean, if you have prophets, then Elijah is a super prophet. I mean, there's only two people in the whole uh, recording of Scripture that never died. Enoch was one. He was so holy, walked with God, so close with God, that when it came to the end of his life, he didn't die. He just simply went up to heaven with God. And the other is Elijah. Elijah didn't die. God came down and took him, and then he went up to heaven. Nobody else had any kind of experience like that. And so here's a guy who's just incredibly used by God in amazing, amazing ways. And we know, as you'll see in the story that we're going to share in a moment here, he was a hairy guy. So, really hairy. I mean, more hairy than normal. So, I think of like a a Duck Dynasty guy. And he was older and so gray, so maybe like Cy. Is he the old one? Or, I don't know. But if you've seen the show, big beard, white hair, big scruffly hair of your arms and stuff. And he had a cloak that he wore and a big leather belt and so people identified him i think of john the baptist probably was very similar to that and a very hairy guy and and so this is elijah he's the prophet of god and he's dealing with some really evil kings in his day and he gets really they kind of get the the better side of him and he freaks out and takes off and he's He's all upset and discouraged, and so the Lord encourages him and helps him. And then he says, okay, Elijah, you need to start thinking about your successor. There's, I want somebody else to come alongside of you for you to train, and then he'll be the next one that I will uh, put my anointing on and train him. And so he went and he, to, to this town, and he found a guy by the name of Elisha, and There's no correlation there. It's not his brother or anything, not a family member. But God showed him who he was supposed to go to. And so he found Elisha, and he was out plowing his fields. He was running a bunch of different oxen and and a farmer. And Elisha went up to him, and we see what he did in in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read verse 20. He said this, uh, verse, excuse me. Part of 19a, the last part of it. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And so you have to understand what that meant symbolically. His his cloak identified him as the prophet. And that identified the fact that God had anointed him. So he took that cloak, threw it around Elisha. And Elisha immediately knew what that meant. And so he left all that he had and he went to follow Elijah as his junior prophet, learning from him. And there's no way I can give you the whole story here, okay? So we're looking at First and Second Kings. So get your Bible, you know, go home, you know, dust it off, blow, blow that thing off, get it out and read it, because then you'll be able to see if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm lying to you uh, this morning. You'll be able to check it out and you can come talk to me about it. So read it for yourself, okay? I'm just going to give you the highlights. So... So we have now this super prophet and this junior prophet. Elijah is the super. Elisha is his follower. You follow me so far? You with me? Shake and look, big smile. Great. All right. Now, we go far ahead through his whole lifetime to the time where now he's about to die. Elijah's going to die. He knows it's the end of his life. He's going to come to the end. And uh, we see this story that happens. 
It's in 2 Kings and chapter 1. There's an evil king. We see, if you look at verse 2, you see there's an evil king over Israel during this time. He has in, brought in all kinds of idols and idolatry. They're worshiping Baal. And, and it, was, it was ugly, bloody, evil stuff. And really uh, caught the attention of God and, and it was very concerned about what was happening here. And so here's this guy, he's an evil king, and he falls over or trips over or something, or his kid left the toy train there or something, and he, it says he fell and injured himself. 2 Kings 1, 2. Now, Ahaziah, difficult name, had fallen through the lattice of the upper room in Samaria and injured himself. Now, it wasn't just a cut or, you know, slight injury. He thought he was going to die. Okay, because if you don't uh, hurt yourself very poorly, you don't send somebody off to inquire whether or not you're going to die. They didn't have a doctor to call. And so what he decides to do is to send somebody to the God of Baal, this evil God, the God of Ekron, and consult with that God to see if he would survive the injury. And this really ticked off the Lord. And so God spoke to Elijah and he said, listen, this is what's going on. I want you to speak to his messengers and tell him the answer to his question. His question was, am I going to die from this injury? And I want you to tell him, yes. Is there no God in Israel that you're calling on these idols? You'll never leave your bed. You'll die from this. So the messengers came along and Elijah did just as God told him. He gave them the message. They went back to the king. They told the king what he said. And he said, now, wait, 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 wait. What did he look like? They said, well, he's a real hairy guy. He said, oh, did he have a cloak and a a leather belt? Yeah, he goes, oh, that was Elijah the Tishbite. And he didn't like him. He hated him. Didn't say good things about him. So he said, all right, get 50 of my best soldiers. Send them out there and arrest him. So... 50 of these guys, they go out, and Elijah is sitting on this hill. Sitting right next to him is Elisha, his trainee. And they said, come down from that hill. The king wants to talk. We're going to arrest you. And Elijah says this to these guys. Now, think, now try and put yourself in those, those shoes, okay? Just imagine you're at home. Right? You got your feet up. There's a knock at the door. And there's 50 FBI agents in your front yard. And they said, you're coming with us. Okay? I mean, here's 50 soldiers, swords, spears, tough, mean-looking guys. And they said, the king wants you. Get down here. So Elijah's response is this. He says to him just plainly, he says, If I am a true prophet of God, then fire from heaven will come down right now and consume you. And what happened? Poof! <laughs> I mean, I don't know how. I mean, they didn't, maybe they just started burning or, uh, you know, fire came down in a fireball and blew them up and body parts. Everywhere. I mean, it was messy. Oral, and they were all killed. Just like that. And so, you know, Elisha's sitting here. He's watching this. A messenger goes back to the king and says, King, it didn't go so well. All of your soldiers are dead. And he, it says, became enraged and said, 
send 50 more. So 50 more dudes go down there and think, well, that was probably a fluke. These guys were lame anyway. They couldn't handle it. We're going to go down there. They demand, Elijah, Elijah, come down. The king's going to arrest you. He says, if I'm a true prophet of God, then fire will fall from heaven and consume you. And what happens? Fire comes down, consumes all 50 of them, and boom, they're gone. And who's watching all that? Elisha. Now, word gets back to the king, and he goes and he finds this poor dude, the third commander. And can you imagine if you were that guy? I want you to go and take 50 men and go and arrest Elijah. And the last 100 were consumed by fire. Have a nice day. So this captain, his totally different attitude, right? I mean, you see it in verse 13. He says, this third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Please have respect on my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. <laughs> Tones change quite a bit. <laughs> no more demanding. No more we're going to arrest you. No more you get down here. The king wants you. Some humility. Elijah looks up. God says, all right, don't kill these ones. Go with them. You'll be fine. And so he and Elisha walk off the hill and they go to the king And they give him his bad news. And who witnessed all of that? Elisha. All right. Now, after this, Elijah knows that he's coming to the end. And so he is going to give one final test of his loyal servant, Elisha. And he says to him, he says, Elisha, You stay here. God has called me on to Bethel. And Elisha sees what's going on and he knows what's going to happen. And he's seen the power of God in this man for many years. And he says, there is no way. I'm not leaving. I am not. As God is my witness, as long as I live, I am your servant. I'm going to stay here. I'm not moving. So he says, okay. And they go on. And even the the group of prophets that were there, they're like, are you dumb? Don't you know what he's he's, he's trying to leave you because he wants to go and die somewhere? And he rebukes him and says, shut up, guys. I don't want to listen to you. I'm staying with him. So Elisha turns to him and says, the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. You stay here. I'm going off to Jericho. And the same thing happens. There's no way I'm not staying. I'm going. I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you. Third time, he says, the Lord has told me to go down to the Jordan River. You stay here. He says, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going with you. I'm going to stay with you. This persistence of staying and commitment. So they go down to the Jordan River, and Elijah takes off his cloak. Remember that same cloak he threw on Elisha earlier, years earlier. He takes it, he folds it up, and he throws it down on the Jordan River. And the Jordan River begins to part open, just like it did for Moses and Joshua. And if you've been to the Jordan River, you know there are parts of it where you can just probably walk across, no problem, you know, up to your knees. It's okay. You think, well, that's not that big of a deal. But if you look clearly here, it says very plainly, they walked across on dry ground. So we know this was an incredible miracle that just took place. 
They walk across on dry ground. There's 50 prophets standing there watching this. Witness the whole thing. And so they get on the other side of the Jordan. And Elisha says to Elijah, Elijah says to Elisha, all right, this, my time is done here. Is there anything I can do for you before I go? Is there a blessing I can put on your life? Which is very common during that day to give a blessing at the end of your life. And so Elisha thinks about it for a minute. And he thinks, all right, I've I made up my mind. I would like 20 bags of gold, 10 bags of silver, fine linen, power, fame, and beautiful women. So you better check your Bible to make sure that's right. No, no, he didn't say that at all. But maybe you would say that. Or maybe I would say that. He said this. He said, I would like to inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's what I want. Now, he wasn't asking for something for himself. He didn't want to make his name great. He wasn't saying, let me be twice as good as you. And he wasn't talking about Elijah's spirit, like Elijah, his personality, I want to be like you. He was talking about that anointing that was on him that killed those hundred soldiers and all the other miracles that he saw. The power of God resting upon Elijah to do his work, the God's work that he had for him. He said, I, I want to serve God, and if I am going to, I need that same kind of anointing on my life. Could I have it in great measure? That was his request. It says a lot about Elisha, I think, about his character, his love and commitment for God and for Elijah. And so in verse 10, he says, this is Elijah, he says, you've asked for something very difficult. Now, he wasn't saying that because it's hard for God to do, right? I mean, because God can do anything and he can put his anointing on anyone in any measure he wants. He was saying it's a difficult thing, Elisha, Elisha, because if you're going to be used by God in such a great way like that, then your flesh has to die. Because the flesh and the spirit, they're at war. And if the spirit is going to be strong and powerful and God is going to be flowing through your spirit, then your flesh has to die. And that equals suffering. It is, I have this anointing at a great personal cost to me. I think that's something the Apostle Paul would agree with. The same case in his life and Jesus as well. And so he said, make sure you know what you're asking for. That's a difficult thing for you. He said, but nonetheless, it's not mine to give. So if you see me when I go, then you know God has given it to you. And if you don't, well, then you didn't get it. So they walk a little further and then heavens open up. And out from heaven comes this thing looked like a chariot of fire with uh, horses of fire and it's coming down out of heaven and it comes down along the Jordan River and it grabs Elijah and then takes off and goes back up into heaven. And this is how, when this was written, that's how it looked. It's how it looked to Elisha, obviously, and how he told the story and what he saw. But if you think about that throughout the rest of scriptures, you can see that Ezekiel had a vision of heaven. And what Ezekiel saw were angels that looked like they had wheels. 
And cherubim and seraphim are a lot like the horse-like, the creatures, living creatures, as Isaiah saw them in heaven glorified. And so perhaps what we're really seeing here is just angels coming down from heaven, grabbing Elijah, and then taking him up to heaven. And in that process, his cloak, his anointing cloak, it fell to the ground and landed in front of Elisha. And so Elisha cries out, he he screams, he says, My father, my father, I see you! Declaring that he knew the anointing of God had then fallen on him, as well as Elijah's cloak. And so what does he do? He does something very important that I want you to learn how to do. We need to learn how to do. He took that cloak... And he placed a demand on that anointing. He picked it up off the ground and he took it and he said, Where is the God of Elijah? And he hit the Jordan River with that cloak. And right at that moment, the Jordan River parted open. And he walked across on dry ground. And all the prophets on the other side, 50 of them, they saw and they said the same anointing that was on Elijah has now fallen on Elisha. And so you see in this story the transferring of anointing. All right? It's the power of God, right? Remember? It's the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And it's being transferred from Elijah to Elisha. And then if you continue on reading, you see all these amazing things, these miracles that happen in Elisha's life. I mean, he goes right from here, and uh, there's a bunch of kids, you know, they're all making fun of him, calling him a bald guy. Okay? So, Elijah was a hairy guy. He's a bald guy. So, they're laughing at him. Ah, you bald prophet. So, he said, you know, basically shame you. And two bears came out of the woods and ate 40 of them. Anyway, I could go on and on and on. All these stories about Elisha's life. So we go ahead till today. Cool story, but what does it mean to you and me? How do we place a demand on the anointing of God? And is it available to you and to me? Let's look at Jesus. The beginning of his ministry, Jesus faced the devil, defeats the devil, and then goes to the synagogue. He goes to church. He's there with the disciples, and he stands up, and he reads a passage in Isaiah. And he was doing this on purpose. He was reading this to say, okay, this is who I am, and this is what I'm called to do. And he reads Isaiah, Luke 4, verse 18, we see what he says. He says this. Listen, this is careful. This, this, this ties it together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit has anointed me. There's an anointing of power on me to proclaim the gospel. And he goes on in detail and describes all the things he's going to do. He's going to do miracles and he's going to set people free and people are going to be healed and and come back from the dead and all this. And he's going to do it because of this mantle of anointing on him, placed on him by the Holy Spirit. Then 
the Apostle Paul picks up on this same concept. And now he's talking to the church of Corinth. And he says, listen, you've got to understand this, guys. He said, that same anointing that was on Jesus, catch this, is also on you. 2 Corinthians 1.22 Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, what does it say? Anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul's saying that same anointing that was on Elijah and then was transferred to Elisha fell upon Jesus now by the Holy Spirit and is being transferred to you. It's on you. John said it like this, 1 John 2.20, he said, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Well, you might be saying, well, then that's really awesome, but I've never seen that. And no miracles ever happened in my life or, you know, I've not parted any rivers um, or killed any soldiers with fire. You know, I haven't done stuff. How do I know that's there? How, how How do I know I have that? Well, here's one thing perhaps you haven't done. And that is you haven't placed a demand on that anointing you already carry. You've not activated your faith. As James put it, faith without works is dead or useless, ineffective. You haven't placed a demand on that. Your faith hasn't been activated to where you could see that anointing at work. Now, when I say we place a demand on that, it's not like we're saying, Holy Spirit, you have to do what I say. Okay? Every time Elijah did something like that, or Elisha, or Jesus, it was because the Lord had directed them to, and it was in accordance with his will. Well, what is God's will for you and for me? He told us to advance the gospel message in Tacoma and Puyallup and throughout the earth. And we are anointed to do that. That anointing is upon us. So now all we have to do is place a demand on that. We are in line with the Spirit of God and His will And then the power of God is released in our lives when we do that. So if you're in junior high or high school, you grab one of these flyers here that you you found on your chair. And you know students, you have friends, you go to them and you say, you're saying this to you and God. You say, Lord God, I'm placing a demand on your anointing that you've already placed on me. And I'm going to invite them to our Easter service. And you hand them this flyer and say, will you come with me to my church on Easter? And when you do that, at that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to unleash his power on that person and speak to them. And it's amazing how 
inside they will hear God speaking to them. And you know what? Many times people have told us so many stories and say, well, so-and-so invited me and I thought it was ridiculous and I was embarrassed. Why would they even ask me to go to their church? But I couldn't get away from it. I thought about it every day for a week. It was like it's harassing me. I just gave in and I finally went. You see, God was at work. The power's at work. You know, maybe you've got the most ruthless, rotten, agnostic, atheist kid on campus who nobody ever would ever imagine asking. And yet God is here putting that out to you this morning that you would place a demand on his anointing and see something happening. Or maybe there's somebody at work and he's known as the you know, the non-religious guy. You know, or that, that one family member that has told you a thousand times, don't bring up religion, you know, stop inviting, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Or that neighbor, or that one person you think just will not, well, they'll, they'll, they'll reject you, they'll say no, they won't do it. But what about you placing a demand on that anointing that's already on you? And let God be at work. Trust him to do the work. It's not you. You don't have to do it. It's him. He does it. Elijah didn't make that river part. He can't do that. No man can do that. God did that. And so, if you want to see this power at work in your life, you start placing demand upon that. Now, it's not going to do anything if it's for your own selfish gain, right? It has to be according to God's will. But you place that demand and then you see a miracle take place. You are anointed to invite people to meet Jesus. Whether you know that or not or believe that or not, it's the truth. So on your chair you have this little card. I want you to grab it here. It's got the alpha symbol on it and there's four or five lines there. And these are the names of people that you think you could invite, that you'll pray for, pray about. Um, Maybe, you know, you want to invite them. Now that you've heard this simple talk about how this anointing works, maybe there's somebody else you had previously discounted, now you would consider. And just grab a pen and just go ahead and jot their names down. Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you can't think of any, maybe you could just write a little note of prayer and say, Lord, I don't have anybody to invite. Could you show me someone? Could you help me with this? That's a prayer that God answers. Just say, Lord, I I really want to invite somebody. I don't know of anybody. Please, please help me. And write that little short prayer there on your card. In a moment, we're going to pray over these and pray about this because we want to see God empower us to be a light in our community and invite people to meet Jesus. I want to show you this timeline that we created. It's a timeline for inviting. The optimal inviting time is now. It's right now. Starts today, 13 days till Easter. The closer we get to Easter, the less effective it becomes. If you get down in that red zone and it's the day before Easter, the only person on the planet you're going to be able to invite is your mother. Or maybe your grandmother. Okay? And they're going to go just because they love you. But nobody else. All right? It's too late. 
You've narrowed your field too far, all right? People are busy. They're setting their schedules up. They're making plans. I don't know about you, but I've got things on my calendar that go through July, okay? And so on April 20th, they're planning to go on a hike or go to a Mariners game or whatever, you know? So you need to give them time. And so this week is optimal. Next week is still okay, but it is quickly approaching uh, that ineffective zone where you'll be stuck with grandma, which isn't bad. I mean, I'm not saying you should invite your mother, but mine will come. And she always says the same thing. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. I'd be the worst Sunday in the world. And she'll say, oh, that was so awesome. It was great. And I know she's lying, but I, you know, I like to hear it anyway. All right, so hopefully you've had a chance to write something on it. And let's pray over this right now, and let's place a demand on the anointing of God. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now in your precious, powerful name. And Lord, we, we ask that you would empower us to be inviters. We know that that's the normal part of the Christian life, that you'd connect our church with our community. Lord, let us not be an isolated island in the midst of all this darkness. Let us be a light that shines brightly. You said, Lord, that the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It's ready. There's thousands of people that are just ready and waiting to come to church and hear about Easter. But nobody is inviting. The laborers are few. The Lord, we're saying to you right now, we're going to take a step of faith and be used by you to invite. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave it in your hands, the power would be at work, our faith would be at work, and we'd see miracles happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.